Well, good morning. My name is Rich, in case you're not sure who I am. I uh, typically spend most of my time with teenagers here at the church, but every once in a while I'll get the opportunity to uh, speak with you. And so excited to uh, have the opportunity to do that this morning. I was told last service, you know, uh, that the, uh, the title of this series, we're in uh, the book of Jonah, and the title of the series is uh, Deadliest Catch. And I was told last service, you know, you see the, the logo up behind us and stuff like that, but I was standing in the perfect position that if you were looking at the screen, all you could see are the words dead cat. And so um, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, hopefully it's not prophetic, and uh, we're not planning on doing anything with dead cats here today, just in case you're worried, uh, but just thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but really excited uh, this morning as we continue to uh, go through the, uh, the book of Jonah. And uh, if you were with us last week, uh, you, you, know, you saw the story. Jonah was you know, running from God. And uh, God asked him to do something, and what God asked him to do was to show grace to people who least deserved grace. God asked him to show grace to people who just absolutely did not deserve it. And that's what grace is. It's, it's getting something that you don't deserve. Jonah wanted absolutely nothing to do with that. And so what he did is he tried to get as far away from God as possible. And for a prophet of God... That's just pretty stupid. You, know, you would think that a prophet of God would know better that you just can't get away from God. But in Jonah's sin, it just made him do some stupid stuff. And that's what sin does. I don't know if you've ever realized that or not, but sin just makes you stupid. Sin just causes you to do stupid things. Sin causes you to say stupid things. Sin causes you to think stupid things. Sin causes you to go to stupid places. And so here we are in Jonah chapter 2, just seeing Jonah be stupid uh, because, because of his sin. He's trying to run away from God. And so we saw last week that, you know, he gets on this boat and he goes in the exact opposite direction of where God is, is asking him to go. And so he's on this boat and God just sends this incredible storm and all the sailors on the boat are just scared for their lives and the boat's about ready to fall apart. And, and Jonah finally comes up and he says, this storm is happening because of me. I'm running from God. And the sailors, sailors are like, what do we do? And they're like, throw me overboard. Jonah says, throw me overboard. And the sailors are like, woohoo, yes. And so they grab Jonah and they throw him overboard and he's into the ocean. The storm stops and we ended last week where a great fish at the end of Jonah chapter 1, a great fish comes and just swallows Jonah. And so amazing story, amazing story. And so we're going to just continue in, in that today and look at Jonah chapter 2. And kind of what I want to do today, just so you know kind of the direction that we're headed and what I want to see just accomplished with us this morning, is I kind of want to take us through Jonah's journey I, uh, I want us to see exactly what it was that he was going through and then try to relate that to where we find ourselves in life sometimes. And then I want to just offer a few suggestions on how we can get out of the difficult situations that we often find ourselves in. And I, you probably have never found yourself in the belly of a fish. Uh, most likely you will never find yourself in the belly of the fish. But what I know about life is that sometimes life can be so hard and so overwhelming that it feels like we are in the belly of a fish. Life can just be hard sometimes. There's, there's stress, there's worry, there's anxiety, there's fear, there's addiction, there's death, 
there's divorce, there's sickness. Some things we bring on ourselves, other things are brought onto us by no fault of our own. But what I want you to know today is that if you find yourself in the belly of a fish, you don't have to stay there. You do not have to let the digestive juices of life eat you away. And if there is something in your life that you're facing today, something in your life that is bigger than you, something that scares you, if there's something in your life today that just feels so huge and so overwhelming, I am not saying, I'm not saying today that you shouldn't be afraid. I'm not even denying that whatever you're facing, I'm not saying that it's not big. All I'm saying is that God is bigger than it. That's all I'm going to say today. And we're going to find out, find that out today as we look at Jonah chapter 2. And so if you need a Bible today, we have ushers that would love to put a Bible in your hand. If you're here in the main over in the link, you can just put up your hand and an usher will be around to give you a Bible so that you can follow along with us in, in the Word of God today. So open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to take a look at uh, the whole chapter today, get to go through the whole chapter of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. And again, if you need a Bible, put up your hand. If you don't have a Bible at home and you want to take that Bible home with you, feel free to do that. We would love for you to be able to have a Bible with you at home. But Jonah chapter 2, starting at uh, verse 1, it says this, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. I just I want us to just stop right there and just let that sentence itself sink in of how amazing that is. That one sentence is how amazing those few short words are. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. We could spend a lot of time just talking about that and talking about what God is able to do and what God does in, no matter what situation we're in. We're not going to do that, but I just thought that was a pretty cool sentence right there. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said this. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me, from the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And then what Jonah begins to do in the next few verses is he begins to describe what exactly was going on as he was in the water. So he's describing what he was going through after he was thrown into the water. In verse 3, it says, you hurled me into the deep into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. And we're just going to go ahead and stop right there for now. And what we're seeing is, is Jonah is explaining here that he felt like he was going to drown. Jonah is describing what was going on while he was in the water. And, and he is telling us he felt like this was it. He felt like he was going to die. He felt like he was going to drown. And for me personally, I cannot imagine anything more scary than, than feeling like I'm going to drown. 
That just scares me to death. The idea of, of dying in the water, of drowning in the water. I can't imagine anything more scary than that because, I mean, think about it. You're struggling and you're struggling and you're trying to stay afloat, but the water just seems to have the strongest hands that have ever wrapped themselves around you in your entire life. And you're struggling and struggling and struggling, but the hands of the water just reach for you and grab onto you and they just do not let you go. And yeah, you fight, and you struggle, and you gasp, and you come back to the surface, but this is a battle that you can't win because over and over and over, the water just pulls you under and deeper and deeper and deeper until your muscles have nothing left to give, until your lungs are crying out for air, until your ability to fight just simply leaves you, and then what you feel is from the tips of your toes, you just begin to feel death take over your life. And you think to yourself, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. And Jonah is telling us that in Jonah chapter 2. He was expecting to drown. He was expecting to die. I mean, you just look at the terminology that he uses. The currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. And as if all of that's not bad enough, he says, and seaweed was wrapped around my head. You know, and so here he is. He's like, I'm going to die. They're going to find my body. And not only am I going to be dead, but I'm going to look like a fool, you know, because I got this seaweed just everywhere draped over my head. And, and that is the situation that Jonah found himself in. I bet it's a situation he never dreamed he would be in. But that is where he was in his life at that moment. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that in your life. I don't know if you've ever felt something or been in a situation that you never, ever expected yourself to be in. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that just seemed to overwhelm you and that the hardship ships of life just, just seem to take over and, and you literally just feel like you're drowning. I don't know if you've ever been there. I bet some of you have been there. If you haven't been there in your life, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but most likely a time like that is going to happen because that's just what life does for us. And I bet that there are probably some of you that are in this building right now who are experiencing that. That you're in that situation right now. Maybe you feel stuck Maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel like you've been wronged or treated unfairly. Maybe you've been wounded. Maybe you've brought all this baggage and all this drama upon yourself because of a decision that you made and you're at a place in your life right now where you are simply reaping what you've sown. Maybe there's been some type of of tragedy that's happened. Maybe it's a death or a divorce or a disaster or a disease. Or maybe you've just been dumb. Maybe something so horrific has happened to you that you feel like you will never be okay again. Or maybe you have messed up so badly that you think God could never look at you the same again. And if that's where you're at today, all all I have to offer you today is truth. That's all I have to offer you today. And, And it's your decision what you're going to do with it. Are you going to take this truth and let it sink in and let it change your life? Or are you going to listen to this truth and then just go off and do what you've continued to do and allow no change to happen? I don't have anything else to offer you today except for truth. 
you take it and you do with it what you want. But I am going to offer you the same truth today that Jonah experienced in his life when death was slowly taking over his body and he thought that he was going to die. I want to offer you the truth of the last part of verse 6 in Jonah chapter 2. And what I want us to do, I want us to read that together. I want us to read the last part of verse 6 together. And I don't want us just to read it together, but I want, to, I want us to read it loudly together. And I want us to read it so loud that the enemy hears it. And he regrets the day that we discovered this truth in our lives. And so I want us to just open up Jonah chapter 2, the last part of verse 6, and we are going to declare this truth together because this is the truth that awaits you in your life today. Starting with the word but in the last part of verse 6. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Can we say that again and just, just declare it and mean it when you say this? But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. If you find yourself in a pit today, I want you to know you do not have to stay there. If you find yourself in the belly of a fish today, you do not have to stay there. If you find yourself in a pit, even if you dug the pit yourself, even if somebody else threw you in that pit, and maybe you're in a pit because of something awful that happened to you, you do not have to stay there. God offers you a way out. And the truth that I'm offering you today is that you can come to a point in your life where you, like Jonah, can declare the truth of saying, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. That's the truth that you're going to hear today. Satan is a genius at what he does. Satan is brilliant at what he does, but you need to know, we all need to know, Satan is not all-powerful. Satan has limits, and we need to realize that if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan cannot destroy you. He cannot destroy you. The best he can do is convince you that you're destroyed. But I want you to know you are not no matter what has happened, no matter how foolish you've been, no matter how far you have fallen, you are not destroyed. And if you think you are, if you think that your life is, is at a point where, where it's, it's completely destroyed, I'm just here to tell you, you are believing a lie. You are believing a lie that is coming from the mouth of Satan himself. And by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can make Satan regret the day that he ever messed with us. We can make him regret the day that he ever messed with us. And how awesome would it be, how awesome would it be if everybody that's here in this building this morning would get to a point that when we wake up every morning, Satan says, oh no, she's up. How awesome would it be if every morning that we woke up, Satan goes, oh no, he's up. Because when you realize that you do not have to be in a pit, when you realize that you do not have to stay in the belly of the fish, you become effective in your life and you become Satan's worst nightmare. And my desire for us, my prayer for us as a church, as people, is that we would just leave this building and just be the worst nightmare that Satan has ever seen in his life. 
because we have experienced freedom and we have experienced victory in our lives. Jonah would not have done anybody any good if he would have learned to deal with life in the belly of that fish. He wouldn't have done anybody any good. It would have been noble and all, but he would not have been effective. God had a plan and God had a purpose for his life and he wouldn't have been able to fulfill that plan and that purpose if he would have stayed in the fish's belly, if he would have stayed in the pit. And it's the same for each of us. We need to get out. We need to get out. And even if you failed, even if you think you deserve to be where you are, even if you've never known anything else your entire life, God wants you out of the fish's belly. God wants you out of the pit. And as we look at the rest of Jonah chapter 2, we're going to see three ways that you can get out of your pit. And it's simply this, three things. You call out, you confess, and then you consent. You call out, you confess, and then you consent. So what do we do first? First of all, we call out to God. If you want to get out of where you are, if you want to get out of that fish's belly, if you want to get out of your pit, you first need to call out to God. And we see in uh, verse 7 of Jonah chapter 2 that that's the first thing that Jonah did. Jonah chapter 2 verse 7 says this, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. So first, call out to God. That's exactly what Jonah is doing here. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. And when you read the Bible, you can see that calling out to God is a a theme that you'll find throughout the entire Bible. I mean, God is God. He He can choose to act however he wants to act. He can choose to intervene in a situation whenever he wants to intervene in any situation. But when you read the Bible, often what you find is that God just chooses to wait. And he waits for us to call out to him first before he intervenes on our behalf. And Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. I called out to you. And when we call out to God, what we are doing is we are showing a total and complete dependence upon him. We are saying, God, This situation is so big, I can't do anything about it myself. This situation is so huge, there's nothing that I can do about it myself. I have tried, and all I've done is messed it up. I've tried to be strong, and all I've found out is that I am not strong. I am weak, and I just absolutely need you, God, in my life. That's what calling out to God means. And some people say, if you do that in your life, then then you're only using God as a crutch. And let me tell you this, God is not my crutch. God is my stretcher. If I have a crutch, that means I'm still doing some of the work. And I have been humbled so many times in my life that I realize that I cannot do the work. I need God to carry me. I don't want God to be my crutch. I want him to be so much more than that in my life. I want him to pick me up, put me on the stretcher, pick me up, put me on his shoulders, and just walk me through whatever it is that I'm going through. That's the type of God that we need, and that's what it means to call out to God, to cry out to God. Some of the most famous words that Jesus ever spoke, some of the most famous words are found in Matthew chapter 5, 
verses three through six. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Beatitudes. And, and Jesus says this in Matthew chapter five. You don't have to turn there. I'll just go ahead and read it to you. But it says this. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And as I read those words of Jesus, I don't see anything in Jesus' words that say, blessed are the arrogant. I don't see anything in Jesus' words that say, blessed are the ones who think they can do it on their own. No, every one of Jesus' words is wrapped in humility. Every one of his words are wrapped in humility and they express total and complete dependence upon God. They are words that cry out and say, I need God and God alone. I want God and God alone. And if we're smart, we won't wait until we get to a point in our life where we feel like our life is ebbing away, like where Jonah was. If we're smart, we won't wait until we get into a pit before we declare our need for God. If we're smart, we'll do it every single day and say, God, you are what I need today. You are what I want today. Let me not waste time pursuing anything else, but let me give all of my efforts and all of my devotion and all of my strength to passionately pursuing you, to humbly pursuing you, because God, that is what I need to do. Calling out to God starts with humility. And humility is not something you have until humbling yourself is something you're willing to do. And we have to be willing to get to a point where we just fall on our face before God and say, God, I have tried, and this is where it's gotten me. I thought I was strong, and all I did was find out that I am weak. And God, I am calling humbly out to you to pick me up And place me on their shoulders and just carry me through whatever it is that I'm going through. That's what it means to call out to God. That's the first step out of your pit. The second step out of your pit is simply to confess. After you call out to God, you confess to God. And so what does that mean? It means confession of sin. Yes, absolutely. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you also have to realize that confession happens every time you tell God how much you need him. So anytime you tell God, God, I need you in my life, you are confessing. You are confessing to God. And that's what Jonah did. You look at verse 8 of Jonah chapter 2. It says this, Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Often what keeps us in a pit is we cling to something worthless. We cling to something that may have worked for us for a while. It may have brought us some happiness for a while. It may have covered up some of the emotional baggage or damage that we feel. It may have covered that up for a while, but it's no longer working for us. And what I want you to know is if, if you're clinging to something that's a worthless idol, the scariest point in your life will probably be when you come to a point and you realize it's not working for you anymore. That the thing you ran to, that the thing you held on to, that the thing you thought was working is no longer working. That is going to be a scary moment in your life. And it's at that point that you are going to have a decision. Am I going to continue to cling to this thing that no longer works? Or am I going to confess my need for God? 
We cling to all sorts of things. Some of you are clinging on to hairstyles that you should not be clinging on to anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to mention names, um, but seriously, like the comb over, man. Dude, the co- you're not fooling anybody with the comb over. You know, you're, you're holding on to that last string of hair and you think people don't think you're bald. We see you're bald. It's time to get rid of the last string of hair. Just cut it off. Sometimes I just want to go up there and snip and then run away, you know, and just cut that thing off. Don't cling to it. The hairstyle that worked in 1985 is not working in 2011, you know? Dude, the mullet that got you a date in 1982 is just going to get you laughed at. In 2011, we need to let go of some of the things that we cling to. Some of you have clothes that are so outdated in your closet, a homeless person wouldn't even take them. And they'd be like, I got some dignity, man. I'm not wearing that. That's way outdated. You know, but we hold on to things for whatever reason. I don't, and I don't know why that is, but we just like to hold on to things. And it's time that we start to learn to let go. It's time that we learn especially to let go of the worthless things that we cling to instead of clinging to God. And so what are some of the worthless things that you're clinging to? I was trying to think about that. I was trying to think of what are the worthless idols that we often cling to. One that just came to my mind that I think is a pretty popular thing that we often cling to is, is relationships. And, and I want you to get me wrong. God created us for relationships. God wants us to have relationships in our lives, and there's nothing wrong with people in our lives. But we have to realize that a man or a woman may make a great man. They may make a great woman, but they are going to make a lousy God. A person can help us, but a person cannot heal us. And so many times in our life, what happens is a person will run from relationship to relationship, placing God-sized demands on a man or a woman who is not God-sized and never will be. And when they're left empty and when they're left hurting because this man or this woman didn't take away the emotional baggage or the emotional damage that they have in their life, what often happens is they place the blame on the other person. And they say, you don't make me happy anymore. Or you don't do for me what you used to do. Or I'm no longer in love with you. And so they place the blame on the other person when a majority of the time it's your own fault. Because you have no... you've taken the eyes off of yourself and you've put it in somebody else and you've refused to look at the fact that you are placing God-sized demands on somebody that is not God-sized. You are expecting a person to heal you and a person was never meant to heal you. Relationships are meant to help. They're meant to support. They're meant to encourage. They're meant to, to build up, but they were never meant to take the place of God. And how many of us in our life have turned to a man or a woman thinking that they would give us what we need, and I'm finally happy, and I'm finally fulfilled, only to be let down, only to be broken, and only to be thrown into a pit. People can help us, but people cannot heal us. Healing is something that's reserved only for God. That is a role only for God. That is a job only for God. So what is it? What is it in your life that you're clinging to? Is it a person? Is it an addiction? Is it status? Is it popularity? Is it working for you? If it's working for you now, 
guaranteed there will come a point in your life when you will discover it's no longer working. Because we all know sin feels good. There's no, I mean, there's no denying that. And sin works for a little bit. But how sin works is it works, but it just takes, and it just takes, and it just takes, and it leaves us empty and empty and empty. And the scariest moment of your life will be when you come to a point and you realize what I'm doing is no longer working for me. What I'm doing is no longer covering up the pain that I feel. What I'm doing is no longer covering up the emptiness that I feel. And if you continue to cling on to that, you are forfeiting the grace of God in your life. You are forfeiting the work of God in your life, and you will always be left longing for more. You need to make a decision. What are you going to cling to? This uh, step of confession, uh, I think it's important to realize confession is simply asking for the unhindered work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's all confession is. So you're confessing how much you need God. God, I need you in my life. But then you're also confessing the things that are in your life that get in the way of God. And that's, that's sin. Sin will always get in the way of God in our lives. And so when we confess sin to God, what's important to realize is he promises to forgive us. He promises to forgive us of our sin. But what keeps us in a pit oftentimes is refusing to accept God's forgiveness. What keeps us in the belly of the fish is we may, we may say, yes, God, forgive me of this, but, but we refuse to allow God's forgiveness to wash us completely clean. We refuse to believe that God, when he forgives, actually forgives. And, and that will always keep you in a pit. It always will. And there's, there's a beautiful picture of, of God's forgiveness in the Bible. It's an, just an amazing verse. It's Isaiah Chapter 38, verse 17. And this is a beautiful picture of how God looks at forgiveness. God says this, Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. He says, Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all of my sins behind your back. You have put all of my sins behind your back. And so this is how confession of sin works. It works like this. You bring all of your sins before God. You lay your sin out before God. And what God does is he picks them up and he puts them behind his back. That's how it works. And oftentimes what we do is we try to run back to those sins, and we try to run back to our past. And God says, if you want to get to those, to your past, you got to come through me first, because it's behind my back, and I'm not letting you get to it. God picks up our sins, and he places them behind his back. And, and whatever sin you're holding on to from your past, whatever shame you may still feel. I'm not saying that what you did wasn't a mistake. And I'm not saying that what you did wasn't bad. And I'm not saying that what you did may not have altered the entire course and direction of your life. All I'm saying is this. 
When you confess that sin to God, his forgiveness is bigger than your mistake. He has placed it behind his back. And we just have to believe that. Because one of the things that will keep us in the pit is when we feel dirty. Because if you feel dirty in your life, you don't mind going back in the mud. You don't mind getting back into a pit where it's dirty or into the belly of a fish where it's icky and gooey and just disgusting. If you feel dirty, you don't mind being there. But when you feel washed and when you feel cleansed and when you experience the the just overwhelming forgiveness of God in your life, you're clean. And when you feel clean and when you believe that you are clean, you don't want to go back to the fish's belly. You don't want to go back to the pit. So we need to call out. We need to confess. And then finally, finally we need to consent. We need to consent to God. I want you to look at verse 9 with me. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. So how does God bring us up from the pit? You call out to him, you confess to him, and then you consent to him. Jonah finally consents to God, and I believe he consents to God out of gratitude for what God has done for him. Because go back to the beginning of of Jonah chapter 2. Jonah thought he was going to die. Jonah was expecting to drown, and then God sent this fish to miraculously save him. God delivered Jonah by sending a fish to miraculously save him. And you may think to yourself, well, being swallowed up by a fish isn't much of a saving. (laughs) Uh, But I'm here to tell you that the only thing worse than being alive in the belly of a fish, being dead in the belly of a fish. You know, that's the only thing worse. God saved Jonah. And Jonah realized this in his life. He realized that God showed him grace. He realized that God showed him mercy. And he realized that God gave him a second chance. That's just what God does. God just offers us another chance. And Jonah realized that in his life. And I believe he wanted to do what God asked him to do because he was just grateful. He was just thankful. And when you look at um, the last part of verse 9, it says, Salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah is declaring that salvation comes from the Lord. And I looked up that Hebrew word for salvation. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. I just looked up the word that was being used there for salvation. And the word literally means deliverance, aid, and victory. Deliverance, aid, and victory. And so if that's what you want in your life, If you want deliverance in your life, if you want aid in your life, if you want victory in your life, it only comes from God. It will only come from God. And and consenting to God means two things. First, it means that you have to consent to the fact that God offers you deliverance, aid, and victory. You have to believe that. You have to consent to the fact that that is what God is offering you in your life today. You have to believe that even more than you want to be out of your pit, God wants you out of your pit. 
God wants you out of it even more than you want to be out of it. And God offers you deliverance, aid, and victory. It's a promise. You just have to consent to that promise in your life. And the best way to consent to God's deliverance in your life is through the Bible. There's no magic formula. There's nothing that's really fancy about it. You just have to just get into the Bible because what happens is Satan feeds us lies. What keeps us in the belly of the fish, what keeps us in a pit, is we are believing lies in our life. And it's not enough to just stop listening to the lies. We have to replace those lies with the truth of God's word. And I'm telling you, it's not enough to be in church. Being in church is not enough. You have to be in the Bible because the Bible is truth and nothing will do Satan more damage than the Bible, than the word of God. And the reason for that is because Satan's a liar. All he does is speak lies. And the best way to combat a lie is with truth. So when Satan comes at you, you just read the Bible right in his face. And it will do damage to him. And so you consent to God by believing his truth and just filling your mind with the Bible. And then secondly, consenting means just doing what God wants you to do. What is it that God is asking you to do? You, you just do it. And that's what, that's what Jonah is doing here. I don't believe that he's doing it out of fear of what God may do to him next. I believe he's simply consenting to God again out of gratitude. Because when you realized that you have been delivered, when we understand what we have been saved from, and when we understand what it took to save us, this sense of gratitude just begins to well up in our lives. And, and, and our motivation becomes, God, I don't want to do this because I feel like I have to, or I don't want to do this because I'm afraid of what you may do if I don't do it. Our motivation becomes, God, if this is a way that I can just say thank you, if this is a way that I can express my gratitude for all that you have done for me in my life, then I'm going to do it. If that's all that you're asking of me, then I am going to do this just as a way to say thanks. And so God wants your life out of the pit. But we have to realize it's not just going to happen. Stuff like this doesn't just happen. You need to be willing to humble yourself and call out to God. You need to be willing to confess to God what are the things in your life that you have made God-sized, but you're in reality clinging to a worthless idol. And then finally, you just need to consent. You consent to God's plan of victory for your life, and you consent to whatever it is he may be calling you to do. Those are, those are Jonah's steps. In Jonah chapter 2, the three things he did that got him out of the fish's belly. And if you choose to do those things, I, I, I just want you to know this. this is, I, I, I can't promise you. If you choose to do those things, I can't promise you that things will get better right away. That's not something I can promise. I can't promise you that circumstances will change right away. That's... It, it just doesn't work that way. That's not something I can promise. But what I can promise you is that when you're willing to engage God as the only one who brings salvation, when you're willing to engage God as the only one who brings deliverance and aid and victory in our life, it will be the best thing that has ever happened to you. 
it will be the absolute best thing that has ever happened to you. And the reason for that is this. I believe God is driven by relationship. And as much as he wants healing in your life, he wants you to know the healer more. As much as he wants freedom in your life, he wants you to know the one that frees more. And the reason for that is because knowing God, knowing God is the first step to getting out of the pit. Knowing God, pursuing him, engaging him, just, just passionately trying to follow him is the first step to freedom in our, in our lives. And as you are lifted from your pit, you'll find yourself a much better person healed than you ever would have been well. Because I think what happens in our lives is, is whenever we get into these, these positions where we're, we're overwhelmed and where we're damaged and where we're wounded and we just, we just feel like life is just taking over and we look back and we just are like, man, I wish that wouldn't happen. I wish this wouldn't happen and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think God looks at it that way. Because I think when God looks at your life, he says, you are much better healed than you ever would have been well. And the reason for that is because you've begun to know me. You've begun to understand what it means to, to just cry out to me and, and, and just pursue me with everything that you have. Will you pray with me? <clears throat> As we get ready to pray, I guess all I want to do is... Um, and you can keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, whatever you're doing to pray. But um, I think it might be right for us just to spend some time doing some business with God. And um, you may find, again, find yourself in a situation where you are just overwhelmed. And, and you just want to be out of that fish's belly. And, and I think that there, again, those are the three steps. You can confess, you call out, you confess, and you consent. And so I just want to give us an opportunity. If we feel like we need to call out to God right now, I want to give you an opportunity just in silence to, to, to call out to God and say, God, I've tried it on my own and I have failed. I need you in my life. And then if there's something that you need to confess, if it's just simply confessing your need for him, or if there's something, a worthless idol that you are clinging to, some, something that is getting in the way of God, I want you to confess that to him and spend some time just going to him and saying, God, I give this to you. I ask your forgiveness and I believe that you are taking this now from me and you are placing it behind your back and there's no way that I'm ever getting back to it. And then just consent. Consent to the promise that God offers you of freedom and then just consent to whatever it is that he may be asking you to do. And so we just, in a, in a moment of silence, just go ahead and, and just do some business with God right now.
God, we're coming before you right now as, as people, and not only as individuals, but as a, as a church, as a, as a body of believers here, God. And um, God, my prayer is that, that we will all be able to declare in our life, but you, O oh Lord, brought my life up from the pit. I pray that that's a truth that will resonate, resonate in our lives. I pray, God, that it's a truth that we will hold on to, and I pray that it's a truth that will just make us different. And God, just, we, we are just coming to you, God, and we are calling out to you. We are declaring that we have a need for you, that we cannot do this on our own. And God, it's hard to do that because we are so proud and we are so oftentimes so confident in our own abilities. But God, um, we're just declaring that we need you in our lives. And God, we're, we're confessing things. We're confessing whatever it is that is getting in the way of our relationship with you, Lord. And we, we just don't want those things there. Take them, Lord, and place them behind your back. And God, we are just coming to you and we are consenting that you have a plan of victory for us, that, that you offer us deliverance, aid, and victory. And we're consenting to that in our lives right now, Lord. God, I pray that we will leave this, leave this building this morning. God, I pray that as we go out, that we will just be filled with truth and that we become Satan's worst nightmare. <laughs> God, please let that happen in our lives. And don't let the truth that we've heard today leave us. And, and don't let the enemy take it from us, God. But I pray that it will stay there and it will grow and grow and grow and continue to grow more and more so that we can know you in a deeper way. And I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. We have a lot of great opportunities before us today. And um, this could be your first day of of walking in freedom, of walking out of your pit, and uh, we have opportunities to go out now and to be an encouragement to other people. And so offer the same freedom that you have, offer that to others today as you go out and serve him at the parade or at the worship event tonight or wherever it may be. Have a great day. See you.